we have a very special guest here today, um, John Albright. Um, John, just to sort of cut straight to it, what makes um, analytics interesting to you as the general counsel of Hub, but also maybe just two minutes on, or less than two minutes on, on, on your background and why it's interesting to you. Sure. Um, well, a little bit on, on, on Hub. Hub is, a, is, is the sixth largest insurance broker in the world, and um, we are certainly not a tech company, but over the last number of years, we have definitely uh, started to embrace technology and have definitely embraced data. Uh, my history, I don't come from the insurance world, uh, my history is actually in technology and data, and, and the company I was with just before Hub uh, was one of the largest uh, data companies in the world that basically tracked what everyone was buying in grocery stores and drug stores and things of that nature. Um, so uh, data is something that drove our primary revenue stream there, and having come from the business process outsourcing world before that, uh, you know, data has been at least a part of a part of my life, maybe not my legal life, uh, for for more than a decade now. So it seemed like a, a natural extension when we're looking at driving greater value and efficiencies into uh, what we do as lawyers uh, to um, start diving into uh, the data assets. And, and do you sell, see yourself more as a data guy or a lawyer, or do you think the same? Do you think the two are merging? I, look, I, I'm a lawyer first and foremost. No and, apologies necessary. And, uh, yeah, I, I can apologize for that. The um, I think the data piece of it is something we're all kind of becoming more comfortable with. And you know, there are obviously some lawyers out there that are more comfortable than other lawyers. But um, we are also, you know, part of the challenge with data is 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 it available, and is the data that is available relative to what you're trying to accomplish. And you know, there's, there's two different data sets there, just in the broadest of buckets. Your internal data set, what do we know about our own contracts, uh, our own uh, claims, whatever you may be measuring. And then there's you know, third party data sets that are increasingly becoming available where you can do detailed analytics on uh, litigation rulings and litigation opinion, opinions. I mean, that's an interesting point though. Just, can we just stick with that for a second in terms of um, the availability of data, isn't that, I mean, there's an uh, HBR review that said that 80% of time in data is spent um, actually taking unstructured to structured. And so without structure, you can't analyze. So would you think that's a fair stat? I mean, is that something that you've found? What, if you were to say, you know, without giving any secrets away, is it 80-20 or is it 70-30? Is that a stat that makes sense to you? I mean, that, that would be hard for me to personally handicap. You know, I, I can agree with the premise that uh, if the data isn't structured properly and if the data isn't complete and accurate, you know, it's the old adage, garbage in, garbage out. So, you know, one of the challenges we have had, just looking at our broader operational data set, you know, not looking at anything we're doing specifically to, to the legal services side of it, is, um, you know, we have incomplete data points. Or we have data points that were entered just to clear the screen, five zeros just to clear the sure. screen to get to right. the next one, yeah. So, so you don't really know. That's the thing about incomplete. Right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that's probably one of the first challenges, right? Uh, without a doubt. If you, you know, when we, any data project we've looked at, the first thing we're, we're focused on before we get into what we want that data project to accomplish is how are we going to get the data into the system? 
And once we do that, is the data going to be complete and accurate so that we're getting fully informed reporting against that data? And I guess that's the question, isn't it? So just to turn to a specific, because I think everyone's interested in specifics of, of that and how the outcome, you know, sort of you start with the outcome in a sense. What is the outcome we want? And we work back to the information. Absolutely. You know, what, talk to me a bit um, about kind of how that worked in the latest project we did together with, with you in terms of your property portfolio and why that was important and how you got from unstructured to structured to technology to visualization. How, how did you get from the end to the start, if that's the way to describe it? I mean, you, you always have to identify the problem you're solving for. Um, but we identified that at more of a 35,000 foot level because uh, we didn't know, because you know, we wanted to have better visibility into our leases, what was in them, how they were comparative to other leases in the portfolio, and a better handle on, because if you look, we have over 500 leases. If you look at any one of, some of them are quite small, some of them are quite large. So if you look at any one of those leases in isolation, you're not talking big dollars. <clears throat> but when you start to look at the portfolio across the global scope, uh, lease expense, occupancy expense, whatever you want to call it, is our second largest expense behind human capital. So when you start to look at it there, you're like, there's some real dollars being expended there, and there's some real opportunity there. So you need a platform that can give you that visibility at five feet and at 50,000 feet. How do we do this? So the idea was we, we wanted to have all of our leases on one platform. They were on two separate platforms that were provided by our, our uh, real estate brokers. Uh, neither of which was was analytics enabled or, or particularly smart. It was more of a of a, of a database right. uh, with some basic functionality than an AI or a, an analytics enabled platform that that could grow as we grew. So you know that was that was the conceptual idea. We need to get all these on a single database that can have all of the data extracted into a point that we can run reporting at any level of granularity. So that was the problem, if you will. Uh, when you look at, or the solution we were looking to solve for, rather, if you look at some of the problems we were looking at to get there is, how are we gonna pay for it? Um, how are we gonna get all the data? Because the legal department didn't have all of it, and uh, all of the data wasn't in the lease document itself. Right. Uh, and then, you know, with that, what sort of functionality were we going to enable so that it was a user-friendly interface that wasn't going to over, overwhelm people? Because, you know, as, as we ended up ultimately specking it, which, which your team did a lot of kind of the first pass, this is what we think you ought to do, we went from tracking maybe five or six data points to well over 100. Yeah. Now, we're still using, it's like your iPhone, you're using... 5% of it on a given day. Um, unless you're a 12 year old girl like my daughter, she's probably using significantly more. Uh, we're still using probably only 5% of that or five or six data points, but we have the ability now to grow. So we looked at that and the problems were, if you look at the pay, uh, the pay aspect of it, uh, we were able to fund this basically through labor arbitrage. So that limited our partners in a sense, unless we wanted to bring in multiple partners, because uh, you know, had we gone to a pure technology play, they're not gonna be able to offer attorneys 
offshore attorneys that could potentially review or redline the leases or upload the data um, at a cost that would save us external legal spend that we can turn, then turn around and invest in the technology. And so, so the, the process, as I recall it, was really too, too, the extraction was quite a big part of the process. But the actual, that once you've got the extraction right, you can then move quite quickly to analysis. It, it, you know, it's 80-20 it's the other way around. The, the extraction is, is the long pole in the tent, no doubt. And we had extraction again. The lease extraction was one aspect of it. That was done as a part of the lease review. Um, but we also had to get data from our, our enterprise resource platform, Oracle because uh, we were tracking, we wanted to understand true cost of occupancy, which is something we had not had visibility into prior to our doing this. Yeah. So we needed to capture all of that information. So there was normalization of that data across 27 different regions, which is how we are subdivided. And, and then extracting that data into uh, the exigent database, Chameleon, to kind of coexist with the data we were able to pull out of the lead. What was the internal dynamic around that? Because I think a lot of people think, are concerned or worried that once you know it, you own it. And to, to, you know, it came from legal. I mean, right. you're not a typical kind of lawyer. Um, and, and so how did that come about? It, it, look, this was definitely outside of what most folks would look at what the legal department is supposed to be doing, no doubt. And, you know, I think before we did this, there just wasn't a lot of focus on it, to be fair, because we were still looking at leases as a, as a slice of, you know, 500 different elements of expense, or at best case, maybe 27 different elements of expense at a, at a, at a region level, at a local, local region level. So there just wasn't a lot of focus on it. Um, it was one of those things where we would obviously try to negotiate the best deal we could, but we weren't looking at efficiency drivers of you know, rentable square feet per employee, some of the standard industry met metrics. We just weren't really tracking or, or, or doing any comparative analysis on those. Um, you know, When the legal department came in and said, I happened to own real estate at the time, so I was able to force the ultimate owner or the client to say, let's go do this, which is helpful. And um, we had a solution that was broken with two different databases that weren't particularly evolved or, 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 or capable. So from our standpoint, we already kind of did own it. Uh, certainly I owned it, if, 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 if that makes sense. Uh, now we, we've partnered with procurement. We have basically co-ownership of a lot of this and we have you know, 27 different co-owners of the, the operations are the facilities leads in each of the regions that have access to all of this data as well. And, and, and that makes absolute sense. But honestly, you know, kind of how often is it that, you know, have you seen resistance internally? I mean, you know, without talking about hubs specifically, can you understand that the kind of once you know it, you own it concept? I mean, it, look, it, no one really owned these databases per se, you know. So it wasn't, and, and, and we started with leases for a number of reasons. You know, had we gone into it, started tinkering with the core operational data set and messed that up, shut down operations in some capacity, that would have been bad across a number of levels. So, you know, had we missed on this, the business wasn't going to halt. We may just have been delayed on getting some of the insights and, and some of the reporting that we were looking to ultimately derive from this. So I, I think um, 
that really didn't factor into my subconscious per se, but... But doesn't that make you unusual though, isn't that? Well, it, it, I think you have to look at the, at, the, at the context of what we were doing too. I don't know that, you know, all of our operational data is on a platform that we generically call a broker management system, right? Uh, and if, if I had come in and said, hey, I want to move all that data to this new platform that invariably most people would have never heard of, they would have woken up and said, no, we're not going to do that. Um, so, you know, I think you have, to, you have to look at it in the context of what we were doing, the data set we were, we were manipulating or, or potentially impacting. And, you know, for us, and it's proven this way, there was only upside. It may not have worked as, as, as spectacularly as we had hoped in, in the end. That was kind of the worst case scenario. It was going to be an improvement over what we had because at a bare minimum, everything was going to be consolidated and we were going to have some reporting capability around it. But, you know, if you, to follow through the, the kind of beginning to end of the analytics of part of the program, without talking numbers, what would be the multiple return on the initial investment? If you were to follow through completely. Well, the, the multiple return would be significant because the init, initial investment funded in part by the labor arbitrage was quite small. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we, we set out not to buy some expensive platform that we may or not may not be able to fully, fully leverage. We bought a solution. And um, you know, it's a solution that can be expanded to other document types, other other purposes. But you know, we knew going in what we were gonna what we were gonna pay, and it was more volume driven than it was any sort of massive capital expense uh, that we so would probably have trouble. Yeah. Yeah. But let's go in terms of multiple. Give me an idea. Three, four times. You know, if you, you the the thing we'll have trouble tracking is 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 the internal expense. Yeah. That's a harder thing to quantify because, you know, we're not like a law firm. We don't have internal bill keeping, uh, thank goodness. Um, but, um, I, I mean, it, it's something that no one has doubted as far as the return. Yeah. You know, at least 3x. You know, so we aren't necessarily able to track, gee, we've saved tens of millions of dollars from that metric, but we have saved actual dollars, which we are now able to track based on our reporting capabilities. And we've also been able to calculate, you know, the cost that we have avoided. Had we just renewed and rolled over on, on existing terms, I guess, adjusted for current market conditions, uh, we've, we've saved a significant, many millions. Uh, and sort of... Now, would we have saved some of that anyway? Absolutely. Cause, yeah. Because not all of that is attributed to the tool, but what the tool allows us to do and the data and the reporting allows us to do is it allowed us to get buy-in at the board level. We presented this at the board level. Uh, it allowed us to get buy-in at the executive management team level, and then that kind of tone at the top pushed down. Just out of interest, which state had the largest space per, per employee? Texas, maybe? Um, uh, Texas wasn't particularly good. Um, it, it's the... The regions with smaller offices tend to be less efficient because right. a smaller you're, you're not going to be able to get to 150 to 200 square feet in a smaller office because you have common waiting areas and your lease availability is less. I mean, the most efficient space, not surprisingly, was Midtown Manhattan. All right. When you're paying 60 to 80 a, 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 a square foot, uh, you 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 have to be efficient. Um, 
when you're paying 15 a, a foot in, in maybe a, a rural or a, or a class B type location, uh, it, you're not as focused on it. And you know, we, do have, we, we did have and will continue to have instances where we are at 300 square feet per employee, which is suboptimal, but it'll cost us more to move. Right, right. So, because we're getting such a good deal, or the build-out expense, and all of that other 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 elements that factor into your occupancy expense, so you can't really look at it in a vacuum. But you know, we now have. If you look at the large leases we are we are doing, they are all under that two hundred. So, so I mean, that's <clears throat> that's a, a fantastic achievement. And 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 so here's an interesting question for you, given that all organizations have internal politics and right. do, you, do you see legal driving that or do you see procurement saying well thanks very much John that was amazing what a great job you did now now it's over to us and we're going to kind of use this methodology or do you see the sort of legal department of the future collaborating with di di departments in a different way with an understanding of data how do you see it evolving going forward uh, look I think you're always going to be more effective partnering with a business owner ideally um, you know we 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 do more we were able to do more when we partner part of that is budgetary because if you're pooling budgets and, and pooling resources uh, you have more to work with but um, if you don't partner with the ultimate business owner uh, they're not going to be vested in it uh, they may be less likely to use it or see the value in it uh, because they didn't have any any part of building or shape. So, so the next group of contracts and that, that you're considering working on, is it with us and is it procurement, finance, you know, what, who would be your partner? Or is it a sort of combined stakeholder looking at different types of agreement? How, how, what would you advise people to think about in that right. context? If, it, depends on the, it depends on what, we're, what we end up looking at. If, if, if we end up looking at procurement agreements, um, then obviously we would partner with procurement HR. on that. Yeah. But a lot of our procurement agreements are IT-centric. Yeah. So uh, we could be partnering with our IT group in some capacity, our, our uh, information security group in some capacity. Um, if it's carrier agreements, that's probably the most numerous um, body of, of, of contract agreements we have in-house. Uh, that is going to be... Um, Basically, we, we, we call them, uh, the, the owner of that is called a chief marketing officer uh, within an insurance broker because they're, they're marketing and, and owning the relationships with the carriers. Here's a question for you, John. Yep. You know, in, in legal examining, say, IT procurement agreements with procurement or IT, I mean, we've seen this in the industry before. Is there a natural sense that they get defensive or does data solve that? Because you know, if agree, if there's an improvement to be made to an agreement, surely that means there's a there's a problem with the original negotiation. Right. I mean, that's the obvious kind of conclusion. Do you, how do you, how would you view that, and how would you approach it? Well, I, I, procurement is is going to be a fully willing participant in anything we do around there because they would love to have better visibility into what they what they have, what they own. When you start to get into the carrier agreement world, uh, we currently uh, have a lot of carrier agreements that are regionalized, regionally negotiated. Uh, they have regional ownership, and um, to varying degrees, they are they are locally stored. Uh, 
So I think there, when you start coming in and, and start moving virtual electronic boxes of paper out of their world that they control, there's going to be some level of human resistance to that. Yeah. Um, so you're going to have to... I think that's a really important point, though, isn't it? It's like, how do you overcome that? How are you going right. to overcome that? Look, you, I think you make them a part of it. You make them a part of what you're trying to solve for. Um, you, you basically give them a vested interest, not only in the solution, but in the outcome. Yeah. So it's not a blame culture, mm -hmm. basically. You know, this is a terrible agreement. You know, there's upside in this, and we were doing a systemic approach to this. Is it law, is it, will you lead that, or will you need support of your CEO, or how do you think that kind of, because the politics ideally, of this is quite often interesting, right? Well, you, you obviously, at, a, at, at some level, need, need the CEO support. Yeah. Um, and, um, but, you know, ideally, we have the carrier relations group be the face of that. Yeah. And we are facilitating it. And because um, if you look at carrier agreements, a lot of the legal boilerplate, which is, the, which is these, aren't, these are 25 to 30 page agreements. They're not massive, but they're not insignificant either. Uh, a lot of that boilerplate, it's kind of like, like a lease. You don't really negotiate it. It's not negotiated. What you're negotiating are the commercial terms. And those, having visibility into those across a broader swath and reporting, uh, we currently have that for our larger carriers, but having that on a census basis across the entire database right, would have right. value. And I think it would be pretty easy to get them on board. What you're going to have to get past is everyone is on any given day overworked, ripping off the Band-Aid. How are you going to get the resources to invest the time uh, to do the heavy lifting to get everything into the infrastructure? And, and in a sense, that's where we come in. I mean, I'm, Absolutely. But you, you can't do it all. No. So you do a lot of it. But, um, but it's true. We can't, do the, we can't do the persuasion. Right. 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 I think that's one of the things that I've observed when we've worked with you. We can't do the persuasion. We can't make people make things electronic. We can't centralize. We can't do that. If that piece is done, that rudimentary piece is done, then, then kind of that's the bit. That we, then, then the motor's running. Right. Absolutely. Um, so just out of interest, John, what, what would you do differently so far and what would you do differently in the future? You know, any time you are partnering um, with, a, with a service provider of any kind, uh, it, it, really is a, it really is a partnership. I know that's an overused word. And um, you have to be continually, continuously looking to improve and adjust whatever you're doing together. And I think, again, we go back into getting too busy and this and that, and um, I think that is, if I see opportunities for improvement when we've collaborated, uh, is we need to do a better, a better job of continuous improvement. So, so would, I, would it be fair to characterize that as resourcing it at the right level at your end to know that you'll get the result? Because, I, I mean, I see that a lot, that, you know, um, it's great, and as you rightly said, we can't do it all, but if we had a certain amount of investment, then the return is there. I mean, that's the way I've kind of seen it, or is that, am I mis misinterpreting what you're saying? I, I, I think that's a piece of it, but, but a piece of it is, is we don't necessarily, if you look at our, our, our current legal department, we don't necessarily have the, have the best skill sets to do that. Right, of I course. mean, uh, you know, typical lawyers are not managing vendors. 
they don't have project management experience. They don't have operations experience. I think that's evolving. You know, the new lawyer of the um, the next decade is going to have a lot of that. The new the new lawyer of the next decade may have some light to, to, to moderate programming capability. Uh, the current set of lawyers, for the most part, myself included, we aren't necessarily we generally aren't wired for that. So you know, we've got to staff up on our end. Um, to, to manage expectations, to work collaboratively with the exigence of the world uh, to get to that improved outcome. Uh, we, we've kind of gotten static on, on, on the deliverable, especially around some of the redlining of the agreements that we need to get better on and more tighter on. And, and I, I put um, as much or more blame on, on our folks because these are our leases, we, we, you know, you're doing, you're doing what we expect you to do on day one, which is a full expectation. Um, the best thing, I mean, I think anything, whether you're hiring a lawyer, is the people. I mean, you got to start there, and you got to start with people that are going to be collaborative and partner with you, and are not looking to service order you to death because anything you start out with as a, as a, as a 50,000 foot or a 35,000 foot vision is going to evolve. Yep. And you know, Exigent is every meeting we had, you know, across m sometimes three different time zones, uh, everyone was like, we want to make this work. Uh, this wasn't about just getting it done. So you know, fees start rolling in, and, and is we want to make this work. We want this to be beyond what you expected it to be. And you know, you don't always find that in service providers. So you know, I think that is a unique part of Exigence culture uh, that when we partner with you again. The technology is good, but we can find good technology other places. I don't know that we would find that other places. John, thank you for taking the time. Really My pleasure. appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to seeing you uh, beam into Australia. And um, it's been, um, uh, from our perspective, it's an amazing experience to work with you. Um, because Likewise. we speak the same language, basically. So, um, and we enjoy it, which is part of it, surely. So, thanks, John. It has been fun. Thank, thank you. you.